Welcome back to the Mysteria podcast. My name is Marcus Da Silva, and I am very pleased to be welcoming Suzanne Anton to the show today. Uh, Suzanne's the former BC Attorney General and Minister of Justice, and in 2013, she was elected MLA to Vancouver and Fraserview. So it's fantastic to uh, have a government uh, official here today uh, to talk about some issues. Uh, so one of the things that Suzanne's been working on uh, among other issues, obviously COVID uh, is worldwide, so it's just one of those things that affects everybody. And your work centers mostly around the civil liberty aspect uh, on issues relating to COVID. That, that's correct. And by the way, former government person, um, I, I'm not there anymore, which actually may leave me, leave me even freer to comment. So yes, I... I've noticed that over the course of the last year and a half, I have myself become much more of a civil libertarian and very interested in the civil liberties of British Columbians and of people in other, part, in other parts of the world, all over the world, as a matter of fact, in terms of the response to COVID. So we all have liberties and, and rights and freedoms. They're, they're set out in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We have rights under the BC Human Rights Act. Um, we, and we just generally have liberties that we enjoy in our society. It's okay to breach those liberties. You can do that as long as the reason is justifiable. But if the reason is not justifiable, if there's no evidence, if the decisions are arbitrary or capricious, then they are not good decisions. So that's the thing that, that's the piece of the COVID response that I have been very interested in during this time of COVID. The one thing that really got me throughout, and this is internationally, uh, but obviously we'll, we'll discuss it uh, relating to where we are, which is British Columbia right now. The, this idea of new normal has been very confusing to me because just how you mentioned, like there's, there's a time and a place to have a response to a particular threat, wh whether it's you know wartime or a virus, whatever it may be. And the idea of this new normal is confusing to me because my understanding going into COVID was things have to change for a while. And then when we're out of it, whenever that may be, and I guess we rely on science and data to tell us when that point will be, um, that we go back to how things were. And when you start using the term new normal, Seems so, odd. <laughs> so Marcus, I think you're very wise to be suspicious of that term. <laughs> there are things that people have are, are enjoying, like you and I are on Zoom right now. I'm very happy to think that I don't have to go downtown for every single meeting in my future. Um, Zoom is a very easy way to carry on meetings, particularly if they're more casual, more meetings along the way, where you don't really need to be face-to-face, -face, you just need to get something done. Uh, that's good. Those kinds of new normals are good. Uh, but the new normals where they actually impinge on people's liberties, I am not good with that. Um, for instance, some people say, oh, we should mask forever. No, we shouldn't. <laughs> we, should we should just normalize living with COVID. As a matter of fact, I think the province of Alberta, which has just recently said, we're done, we're all done. We're just gonna treat this as a normal disease like every other disease. We're just gonna have to learn to live with it. I think that that is the right response. Now, now I, at the beginning of COVID, when nobody knew anything, it was a very alarming time. I'm forgiving of governments for things that they did right at the beginning because people just didn't know what they were dealing with. 
But as time went on and it became clearer what we were dealing with, I become less giving over decisions that are that are as capricious or that are forced by pub samples or by political demand. And, and I will um, talk to you about masking. So, so I'll give you a couple of examples of where government was pushed by public demand, not by health. And the masking rules are one of them. Um, so for example, in the city of Vancouver, the city of Vancouver medical officers said, do not require masking in our public facilities, our community centers, our, and so on. And in spite of that, the politicians, the city council, who I think thought that they were acting with pub, by public demand, said, oh yes, we're going to have masking in all those facilities. That was not a health decision. That was a political decision. That was a political decision that impinged on people's liberties. And those are the kinds of decisions that I think were the wrong kinds of decisions during this time of COVID. Another example still around masking is kids in schools. I don't think myself, I don't think that young children should be masked. I have, I read about, you know, I'm not a medical person, obviously, <clears throat> but I do do a lot of reading and I have never ever seen an argument which says that good health policy requires that young children be masked. So in, the, in um, British Columbia, the, um, there was a, early on, there was a case brought by two parents saying, we want our children masked in school. The government defended that case and said, no, no, we don't need masking. Well, what do you know? Six months later, the demand from the teachers and from the parents became so overwhelming to the government that they ignored the health advice because I don't think, I never did sense that our public health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry was behind this. They ignored the health advice, advice they overruled and made a political decision that children should be masked in schools at all times. And that was a wrong decision. Young kids do not need to be masked. And there never, ever was any evidence presented in support of that decision. And I don't believe that the evidence actually exists in support of that decision. So that's kind of, um, that's, you know, that's majority rule, majority um, rights, but, but we don't allow the majority, you know, to take over the individual rights of citizens. And it was wrong to do that. It, it's kind of a totalitarianism. It's a it's a, a tyranny of the majority when you take when you allow loud public opinion to take away people's rights. So that was the those were the kinds of decisions. I can give you some other examples of things that were done during the time of COVID, which I believe were completely fundamentally wrong. I have a five year old grandchild who's going to school in Toronto starting in a few weeks' time, and she will have to wear a mask. I think that that's dreadful making five year olds wear masks. Yeah, I agree on the on the children side in particular. I mean, and, and you did mention that you're not a medical professional. And, you know, I mean, that's good to say, but also <laughs> pretty much everybody who in government who's making these decisions, as far as I know, none of them are, are medical professionals either. So we're relying and, and as a citizen, you know, I went to law, I, I got no medical background whatsoever, um, no more than the average individual. So we rely on accurate data and people who are really smart and really educated on the, on the science aspect to inform us how to best make these decisions. And so it's, again, it, it, I find it very odd that the and, and the tyranny of majority, I like that. That's an interesting, I like that because I think that's true because 
the people who are bringing those motions forward, oh, we need to mask our children. And well, what do they know? They don't know any more than the rest of us. We're all kind of in it for, for the most part together on the, on the education side. That's exactly right. And I, I believe, now I don't have inside knowledge of this, but I believe that they were ignoring the advice of their medical professionals. Here's another example. Dr. Bonnie Henry gave an, I've got, I, I, I'm, I don't have the dates exactly, but I believe it was last November, wrote an editorial in the Vancouver Sun saying we don't need indoor mandatory masking. Lo and behold, a few days later, a complete about face by the government saying, yes, we do. So was that on her advice? I doubt it. But, but again, it was politically expedient to do that. Let me give you a couple of examples, another examples moving beyond masking here. You remember we this spring recently, we had another upsurge in cases, which again caused some alarm. So there was this huge public demand to say nobody could travel and you were going to get stopped in if you drove um, uh, east of Hope, uh, you were going to get stopped on the highway and asked why you were there. You drove, if I, you went over to Vancouver Island, you could be stopped and asked why you were there. That again, I, I don't believe that there was any health reason for stopping citizens of British Columbia from moving around British Columbia. And again, that was public demand. And uh, I think it was completely wrong. Um, um, there were lots of ways you could avoid it. And I, I certainly continue to travel myself. I always had a reason for going. But, not, but you shouldn't have to defend yourself for why you're traveling around the province. So again, I think that that was another thing where the, where the government overstepped what it should be doing. Yeah, as somebody who just returned as we're talking, uh, I got back from the UK about a, a week ago, a week ago today, actually. Um, and when it comes to international travel, my opinion has always kind of been that it's more of a privilege than a right. I mean, we can get, you know, that conversation for a different day. Obviously, it's a blanket statement that I just made. But generally speaking, the idea of any type of international travel, because then you're dealing with other, uh, you know, foreign governments, and, and that's up to them to decide what, what they think is best for their own people, and that's fine. Um, but certainly the idea of domestic travel, um, and particularly within your own province, it seems, how do you justify that? And there doesn't, there didn't seem to be really any justification for it other than just this is what we're doing and let's just move on. <laughs> it was political expediency and political expediency is not a good reason to abridge people's rights. Uh, we have, a, uh, as, as citizens of British Columbia, we have a right to travel around British Columbia and political expediency and the fact that lots of, there's a lot of loud voices saying you have to stop that, that is not a reason for stopping it. And it's, government should not cave into that. Um, I will say another thing about uh, well, these kinds of restrictions. I'm very disappointed in the courts in, in their response. They have backed government every step of the way, even when there was no evidence and no good reason for it. I'll give you an example of that, and that's the um, freedom of religion aspect of the COVID decision making, which was that the churches could not have in-person services, and churches, including, of course, synagogues, gurdwaras, temples. Some I've been to many of these places, and I'm sure you have too. The churches are often very large institutions. The, the Sikh gurdwaras. There's one in Vancouver Fraserview, which I have been to many, many times, very large space. There was never a reason to stop in-person services. Those organizations were perfectly capable of carrying on what they did safely. 
some of them, some Fraser Valley churches took it to court. The court said, yes, it's a breach of your freedom of religion, but we're not going to do anything about it. And I think that that was a very disappointing decision by the court. Similarly, going on to a, a federal decision, the uh, the um, ice, the hotels, the, the 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 you know where you have to you, did you have to stay in one, Marcus, when you came back from the UK? Uh, good, I'm glad you did. <laughs> those internment hotels imposed by the federal government that was taken to court, and the government and the court again supported the government. It did not support citizens. So you come back to Canada, you've got a perfectly good place where you can quarantine perfectly safely, and you still had to go into these hotels. I, again, I, I, I'm disappointed that the courts haven't been more willing to stand up for citizens during the course of COVID. Has that, yeah, I'm trying to think, like as far as the, I'm trying to, th actually, let me back it. We'll, uh, I have a court question, but we'll, we'll back it up to a different question. Um, do you think that, so just focusing on um, uh, provincial decisions, do you think that the decisions would have been at all different if it was a, di a different political party uh, in charge? Uh, you know, I, I no. <laughs> well, I know as to those ones along the way, I can't say. But I, I will say there was no real opposition. And, I, and you know, I'm a BC Liberal. I'm a, I, I, I remain a BC Liberal, and, and I probably always will be. But I will say that the opposition party, which is right now, the NDP, of course, is in government. The BC Liberals are in opposition. Uh, any other opposition, the Green in British Columbia, usually they're just saying, why aren't you doing more? And... And that was a pattern around the world. Most opposition parties were not saying, why don't you do less? They were saying, why don't you do more? And I would have been very interested in opposition parties that were saying, why don't you do less? Now, and the interesting thing about places that do less, of course, is that we will have some real models to look at when this is all over. Florida has been <laughs> wide open. Texas is wide open. Now, it is the case that they're having another surge of cases at the moment, but I think it remains to be seen what does that mean overall and what will that mean overall in the long run. I don't think you can judge these things on a day-to-day -day basis because the curves for every jurisdiction look very similar, no matter whether they locked down or they didn't lock down. And so the, the curve in the US is going up right now. There will be very interesting, we'll be picking over the, uh, the remains of COVID decision-making for years to come judging who did the right thing and who did the wrong thing and what the upshot of all the results was. So um, we, we don't have so much that in Canada. Each province did have its own response. They were quite similar, although there are variations now. Alberta, as I mentioned a minute ago, is open. Ontario is still not open. How will that turn out? Well, we will see, it remains to be seen. But I approve of the Alberta one, as you might suspect. And I think in Alberta, I mean, I think they just had the stampede and, and what was the, because I, I haven't been paying attention to that, but was the response, because obviously uh, for people who may not know, BC and Alberta were, were neighbors. Um, so obviously there's, you know, we're pretty aware of what we, we each do uh, just because we're geographically right next to each other. Um, but what was the response in, in BC, um, if any, to what was going on in Alberta? I don't think that we worried too much one way or the other what Alberta was doing compared to what we were doing, except at the border. 
there were people that said Albertans should not come into British Columbia. And then there were cases of Albertans being harassed if they came to BC. I don't, I, I would obviously would not have agreed with that and would not have approved of it. But I would say generally looking over your shoulder to what the other one is doing, I, I wouldn't say that there was, there has been a lot of that. Right. Yeah, I mean, in so obviously when COVID started, uh, I would have been halfway through my last year at university. And so amongst each other, we, we've had many conversations where um, historically and legally, when you look at depriving citizens of their civil liberties, whether justified or unjustified, that, that doesn't really matter in this context. Generally speaking, once you relinquish those, it is so much harder to get them back. And obviously in March, when we were having these discussions, we had no idea what the future was going to look like. And I think in some ways I'm surprised and sad and, you know, it's sad that I'm unsurprised in, in other ways. Um, but what, what's your opinion on the, on the fact like moving forward, is the trend towards getting these back or, or do you sort of see it as more kind of a lethargic and just, eh, you know, we'll just see well, what happens. I, I think governments themselves were taken by surprise at how far they could go. Um, they had the media with them. The media, I'm also extremely disappointed in the media. They reported what the government was saying. I never heard the media ask, they, they would ask, why you know they might ask details around the edges but they they almost never asked why are you doing this at all and i think that they could easily have asked that over over the last year and a half um so i i think that the media the canadian media they're starting to question it, question things now but they have not been very questioning for the first year they hardly asked a question of interest they just said oh isn't this dreadful you know maybe you should be doing more that was not a good response from the media um, so uh, will governments become more totalitarian? Well, I, I've been watching what's going on in Australia. Australia had a COVID zero policy. And again, it may turn out that COVID zero policies are futile because this virus is gonna get you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to, it's, it is going to go through every jurisdiction in the world. It's come through BC. I think BC generally has handled it pretty well, even though I have some complaints as you've heard. Some things I think were done wrong. I think generally the response in British Columbia has been pretty good. When you look at Australia right now, it's tried to have the COVID zero. They've got troops in the streets pushing people back into their homes. It's just terrible. We've never fortunately had that look of the police state here in British Columbia. And why, why is the response happening in that way in Australia right now? Because I know obviously Australia for, I mean, if anybody's ever watched like that, that border security TV show on, it's a pretty funny show. Um, but it's, it's funny, the running joke with Australia, they are very tough about who comes in and not so much who goes out, but letting people in. And they're very good about sort of keeping things on track in their own country. And they're an island too. So that helps as well. So I, I'm kind of surprised. Well, I'm very surprised that their reaction this late in the game is this really hardcore um, government involvement. They made a policy of COVID zero. I'm glad we did not go with that policy here in Canada and here in British Columbia, it, because it's not a realistic policy. 
And you see now when most of us are coming out of COVID, they're still in it very deep uh, because they're trying to keep every case of COVID out of the country. I, I think that in, in both in British Columbia and Alberta, which I've been commenting on, the, the idea is that there will be COVID, it will be with us, and now we just have to manage it. And, and that's a much healthier attitude than to doing what they're trying to do in Australia. Um, Marcus, let me make one more comment about um, the civil liberties response. And that is the various human rights organizations and civil liberties organizations across the country. Again, I find with some exceptions, which I'll mention, um, some of the response, like there's been a non-response from the, the um, civil liberties organization, civil liberties, BC Civil Liberties Association, let me get the name out correctly. They've hardly had a thing to say in a year and a half. And the only thing that came up in the news that they said was when their executive director approved of burning down the churches, this is a different issue, of course, dreadful issue of the residential schools. The only time we heard from the civil liberties or BC civil liberties was when the executive director said, burn them all down. You know, where were they during COVID? Where were they? Why weren't they looking out for ordinary citizens? Why weren't they looking out for people who were, you know, working hard every day and having their liberties taken away? Why weren't they looking out? Why didn't they have something to say about the churches and the fact that they couldn't do their in-person services? They had nothing to say. We have a human rights commissioner in British Columbia, who, as far as I can tell, has been completely silent during the whole of COVID. Very disappointing organizations. They were paid... They get government sponsorship. The Human Rights Commissioner gets uh, is, is a government position. The Civil Liberties Association gets funding, I believe from government. They certainly get funding from the Law Society and the Law Foundation. So those organizations should have been speaking up on behalf of ordinary citizens. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association ran out of Toronto, did speak up. and They, did, they brought some cases and I really admire the work that they have done. And then there are some independent um, societies, both out of Calgary, interestingly enough, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms and the Canadian Constitutional Foundation, both spoke up for citizens and continue to speak up for citizens. But the government-sponsored organizations have been silent and I find their silence very, very disappointing. I'll put you a bit on the spot uh, as far as this question, but historically have those organizations been silent before or have they generally voiced I mean like COVID's obviously only been a, kind of a one thing we haven't really had anything like this before but in other matters have they been willing to speak up or is this a pretty novel thing for them? Well they speak up on uh over policing, for instance, they'll speak up on things like that. I, I'm sorry, I can't really tell you what issues the BC Civil Liberties Association has spoken up on recently, but when these rights of citizens and the liberties of citizens have been completely constrained over the past 18 months, rightly or wrongly, sometimes okay, sometimes not, they should be in there. They should be speaking up all the time. The head of their organization should have been in the news every day saying, this is okay, this goes too far but they never had a peak to say on, on matters which affected ordinary people in such a dramatic way. And do you think the, the reason for that is, is simply just the, the lack of understanding and the fear around COVID that they're just like, mm, we're just gonna sort of stay quiet? I would say that if you're 
role as civil liberties and you ignore the biggest breach of civil liberties in the history of our province, I'd question whether you were actually performing your role. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I know for me, you know, again, as just a, I like to kind of consider myself as an outside in observer, even though obviously I'm, I'm living in Vancouver. Um, the whole response and and I mean we we talked earlier about you know parents bringing a motion to to mask their kids um like it just doesn't seem and again this is I have no medical background and I have done almost no medical uh reading on on this subject but I think pretty much everybody is in the same boat um I just don't understand that because to me it seems like fear clouds judgment and you know whether that's uh you know when when uh trump was in office and it was the whole oh you know build the wall and be scared of immigrants and misinformation and and whatever have you um it it seems odd i just i just kind of keep repeating myself where it's just it seems odd it just seems so odd to me well i think it's the the vocal um parents and the vocal teachers who got their way on that one. And interestingly, it's been known pretty much from the beginning of COVID that young children, A, don't get COVID and B, are not vectors of COVID. So there is zero reason to mask them. I, there's also a C in there, which is, I'm a little skeptical that cloth masks do anyone any good. There's certainly some studies saying they don't. So between those three things, there's no reason for young children to be masked. And, um, and it is fear. Uh, governments around the world were very successful in building fear in their populations so that they could take the measures they wanted to take. And again, that was not, to me, that's not a good thing. You've got to present people with clear evidence. I think, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm not complaining too much about BC here because I think, well, I am and I'm not. <laughs> As I say, I think our response in British Columbia has been better than many places. But you know, changing your mind for a political reason. No, your chief medical officer says you don't need masks, and then a few days later, the, the political people are saying yes, we do. That's a wrong reason. Um, other places, other parts of the world have been much more draconian than that, and uh, I feel sorry for their citizens. Throughout, so obviously, I guess we're I guess we're kind of like eighteen months into COVID. I mean, more or less, we'll, we'll call it eighteen months. Um, and I'm not sure at what point the the idea of vaccinations came came into the conversation. It seemed like it was actually pretty pretty quick. Um, but either way, now that people are getting vaccinated, uh, obviously there's the you know single dose or or double dose, and then you know your anti-vaxxers who who refuse to do it or what have you. Um, but the reason I'm bringing this up is that it seems like the conversation from what I remember was if we get vaccinated, we can end this. So that's a very, it's oversimplified, but that, that was the conversation. Um, hopefully my memory is accurate on that. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and, and you heard that in the, in the States in particular, um, you've heard it here too. In BC, it, it is the case that we are ending it. Um, unless the government goes backwards. But at the beginning of September, I think the last um, things should come up. I mean, part of the reason I think you're saying that is you've heard Dr. Fauci in the States, he's got a moving target. He said 70%, oh no, 80%, oh no. I, I, 
Fauci's got big problems. <laughs> you can tell I'm you can tell I'm not a big fan of his because he would say things to try and bring people along, believing even believing them himself not to be true. I think that when when governments start to try and deceive their citizens in order to try and make them do something, that is very wrong of governments to do that. I'm not going to go too much into American politics. It's not my field, and I and I, we don't live there, of course. But it's very very important governments always to be clear with their evidence and why they're doing something that way it can be supported and and moving forward like let's just say it let's just say in the next few months that we basically get our numbers down to you, you know vir virtually zero whatever that means as far as it's not something to really be concerned about it's it's a manageable uh issue um do you get do, do you think that there could be the potential where because it just seems like it, it seemed to me as someone who was traveling abroad that's kind of where I'm coming from on on this issue it seems very tenuous because it almost seems like at any given moment the government could basically just say hey we're back at at stage one and whether they can justify that or not doesn't really seem to matter because if you look not only in our jurisdiction but across other jurisdictions where i mean as you mentioned that they they just completely locked it down and there was zero justification for it and luckily we don't live there so we don't have to be too concerned about it um but for me as a as a citizen th th that is something that makes me a bit concerned because... Well, they, they can. I mean, Australia was wide open. They were boasting about how wide open they were. And they had, you know, you saw them out in stadiums and festivals and so on. And the rest of the world was a little jealous because they're doing that. And now they're locked down. So I think it's probably safe to say that the virus is going to do what the virus is going to do. And it's very difficult to escape the consequences completely. And really to turn to say, we are now going to normalize it. It's a nasty virus if it gets you, if you're not vaccinated in particular and it gets you, you can get very ill from it, but we're just gonna have to live with that. And I think that that is normalizing it. And, and people will probably, the new normal, people probably will be a little more cautious about um, you know, mixing in indoor settings. But I also find now that most of our um, um, things have come off of BC that as soon as people get into a room with, you know, in, in a friendly room, they kind of forget about it. I think people, people are ready to move on and British Columbia will move on. Well, the, I, let me say one more thing since you raised the issue of vaccines. One of the things I'm very opposed to is the vaccine passports. And again, in the States, there are jurisdictions that say they're not going to have these and, and some begging for them. There was an article in the National Post this morning saying we must have them. I disagree. It creates two classes of citizens. And to me, that's wrong. Yeah, I would say that the so obviously, because I was traveling abroad, uh, I had to get my second. Do well, I didn't have to, but I did because I figured I got to cover my own rear end on that uh, issue. Um, but traveling around and, and, and doing all that, what I found internationally I don't really have any problem with a COVID passport where you can show proof that you've had your vaccines if you're traveling abroad. I don't really have much of an issue with that um, just because depending on which countries you're going to, um, th there's different issues that will come up and we'll ignore those for today. <laughs> um, but yeah, domestically, again, I, I, um, suspicious uh, for me, uh, just, just kind of 
that idea of well do we in our own in our own country and then in our own province is this something that's entirely necessary and and again it's just one of those things that we have well you know say you're a, say you're um, a theater um, or a, a musical venue are you going to tell people that they can't come in if they're not vaccinated like that would really you know or, or that you can't prove that you're vaccinated I think that that would be, I think that that would be wrong um, because some people won't be, kids won't be, some people haven't got it. There's reasons why people haven't been vaccinated, but maybe good reasons. It would, I think it would be very undemocratic, un-British Columbian to start requiring proof of vaccines. As you say, if you travel internationally, it's up to other countries. We can't, we don't have any control about what other countries do, but we can control what we do here in British Columbia. And particularly if the setting is is non-defined. So are we talking, you go to a Canucks game where there's 18,000 people, do you need a, a COVID passport for there? What if you're going to a, a movie theater where there's maybe 100 or a university yeah. class where you have 300? Yeah, exactly. I don't think the universities, by the way, should be requiring it either. They're generally, their, their populations are young. And uh, they're perfectly capable of making a decision themselves whether they want to get a vaccine or not. Uh, most people do decide to get it. But again, I don't think they should be limiting who comes to class by that. Now, I'm not actually haven't heard in British Columbia that any of them are, but you certainly hear that in other jurisdictions. Well, and, and that concerns me too, because it's like, there is no, it, it's not defined. And, and I know obviously, you know, from, from my legal background, we're all about, everything has to be defined to, you know, to the detail or, you know, I mean, okay, that's also a very blanket statement that I, I know all my professors who just heard that are like, that's no, not entirely accurate, but more or less, you know, <laughs> we have to be, we, we need to understand what we're having the conversation about. And right. that is correct. I, I totally it. agree with that because there's unintended consequences when you make decisions. That's why the city of Vancouver health officers, going back to my first point, which is, City of Vancouver Council and its political wisdom overruled their health officers. And their health officers said it is better for people to be able to go to the community centers than it is to refuse them entry. It is better for people to use them to not, than to not use them. And when you go in and mask up and it's just not a normal use and you're stopping people. And that's the kind of unintended consequence that some of these decisions can have. And, and I think what people seem to forget, and I've been guilty of this as well through, through the process is forgetting the fact that obviously the virus, it, it, it affects you biologically because it's, it's a virus, that's what it does. So it affects your, your immediate health. But the other side of that is also, well, humans are social creatures. And so we also have to be sure that is at least involved in the conversation. So having that, you know, and you know, that seems reasonable enough that it's better to accept them into like a community center versus refusing them. Like that, that yeah. seems reasonable. Well, so, so Marcus, that, and that's the, the entrails that people will be studying for years is the effect of the other effects of lockdown. We've had a terrible, terrible rate of drug overdose deaths in British Columbia. And, and that's not confined to British Columbia in many places. There's, there is, there's gotta be a relationship in there. I don't want to pretend to try and define it, but there's gotta be a relationship in there. All these other things that people haven't been able to do, people that have been going bankrupt, the province going deeply into debt, the country going horribly into debt. All of these things are going to have consequences. I mentioned my grandchildren, they're going to be still paying that debt when they're 
taxpaying citizens, and they're very young right now. <laughs> there are many things that are going to carry on from this, and they will be years in the study and in, and in thinking about how the response was it the right response or not. We're, we have about, yeah, we got about three, four minutes left for, for today. I know it was a, today was a fast and furious episode. I always joke how these are, they always seem to fly by for me, but uh, particularly this one, we're, we were going uh, fast and furious through, through this one. But um, just in conclusion, you know, moving forward um, and, you know, I mean, I guess we can sort of stick with the, the British Columbian perspective on this one, but what is it that we should be looking out for or what should we be doing to, because at the end of the day, I think we all roughly want the same thing, which is that we want what's best for our own people. Um, however we, you want to say that, you know. We should all be guardians of our own liberty. The, and we all have a role to play. Governments have a role to play in not acting like totalitarian governments and going with the tyranny of the majority. They, have, they must listen to their health officers and, and take good advice. Now, at the end of the day, a lot of these decisions are in fact political decisions, but they have a responsibility to not go too far. Media has a responsibility, which is to poke at things and ask questions. Lawyers like you, um, you know, the, sort of the professional classes, they have a responsibility to, to help people understand what's going on, to be questioning, not to be sitting in their home saying, keep us locked down for longer, which you have heard people say, I just do not agree with that at all, because then there's all kinds of people out there who are bringing food to those and delivering groceries to people who are comfortably locked down. And those people are often forgotten. We all have a duty to pay attention to our liberties and to, and to require that our liberties are respected. Because if you don't do that, you go down a very bad road uh, for society. Yeah. I, I, and I don't want that for our province. Um, I feel Canada is a great place. British Columbia is a great place. But we have allowed ourselves to be pulled into a real constraint on our liberties. So it's very important, as you said earlier, the new normal. The new normal has to be going back to the old normal in terms of civil liberties of British Columbians. And we all need to stand up for that so that we are able to stay the great province that we are right now. I'm not sure who said it, but I heard this a, quite a few years ago and it must've been in a podcast somewhere, but question the premise. Now, if it turns out that we, you, you, the answer that you come up with is fine, great, but at least question the premise, think critically and just do your part to at least engage in, in the conversation and, and, you know, just think for yourself and, and do it. You know. And don't forget, and don't forget that science means questioning. There is no such thing as subtle science. You are always questioning. You always have to question if you're, if you're wondering about something, follow up on it, do some research, ask people who know, but always ask questions. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Question the premise and, and do your part. I like it. <laughs> um, so I think that's pretty much our, our time for today. Um, but thank you so much. It was great to meet you and, and great to have this discussion with you. And uh, hopefully we can have another one of these in the future. Okay, Marcus. Well, good job.